from MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We have a guest today. It's Chester Martin from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers from the Engineering Research and Development Center in Vicksburg. Throughout history, bats have been one of the most misunderstood species around. From vampires to superheroes, they're often categorized as dark and mysterious, when actually they're very social and one of the world's best pollinators. Chester Martin will tell us more about them and dispel some myths about the bat. Join the conversation this morning with your phone calls. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Reach us at one 672 7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Visiting with us today is Chester Martin from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers from the Engineering Research and Development Center in Vicksburg. We're talking about bats today because throughout history, bats have been one of the most misunderstood species around. From vampires to superheroes, they're often categorized as dark and mysterious when actually they're very social and one of the world's best pollinators. Chester is here this morning to tell us more about them and will dispel some of the myths about the bat. You can join our conversation this morning when you give us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Reach us at one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. If you miss uh, Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Java, our uh, producer, uh, alerted me to the fact that today is National Puppy Day. So uh, if you're in the uh, market for a new puppy for your house, uh, strongly recommend uh, going to an adoption, uh, a puppy adoption uh, that are located throughout uh, Mississippi, uh, and uh, try to avoid the the puppy mills. So um, I'm not sure when National Kitten Day is, but I'm certainly sure that they'll have one for equal time there. But uh, National Puppy Day today, so why don't you post a picture of a puppy on your Facebook page or something? So as I mentioned, our guest is Chester Martin. Chester has been with us before, so good to have you back, Chester. Thank you. Uh, First, let me say... uh uh, young bats are also known as pups, so they might qualify. So <laughs> you have a nice photo of a baby bat, send it in. There you go. But I wanted to say, uh, I, I actually retired from the Army Engineer Research Center in uh, 2008. Okay. I did a lot of work for the Corps of Engineers and the military and, and still do some on the side, but I'm affiliated now primarily with the Mississippi Bat Working Group. And we're a group of uh, scientists and uh, concerned citizens and state people and so forth that get together from time to time and and work on projects to uh, protect bats and to uh, uh, help their habitat and to conserve bats in general. Uh, our new website, and write this down, is msbats.org. And uh, it's it's been updated, and it's, it's a good website. Uh, 
a lot of links to upcoming events, uh, baths in Mississippi, resources that we deal with. There's even a section for teachers. So uh, uh, visit that website and find out a lot more about baths than you can in a one-hour program. All righty. Um, so how would you describe uh, the health of the bat population both here in Mississippi and nationwide, worldwide? Well, nationwide, it's in trouble. Uh, we've got a new disease. It's been around since 2006. Uh, first uh, was recognized in some caves in uh, New York, Pennsylvania, and it has uh, it's a white white nose syndrome (WNS). It's a fungal disease that came out of nowhere, and it has killed not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of bats nationwide, mm. and actually has been. Uh, responsible for putting some bats now on the endangered species list that were previously uh, were previously uh, very common. In Mississippi, we're not seeing a lot of effects yet, but it had the the, the fungus has been uh, detected here in, in Mississippi in some coverts. So we're keeping a watch out for it. And uh, this fungus started out in the northeast, has traveled down the Appalachians, it's and now in all the caves in Kentucky and Alabama and in uh, Tennessee and has even gone. The, the latest uh, site is a site in, in the state of Washington. So it is spreading and it is a particular concern. Uh, what what can we do to, to try to prevent uh, white nose syndrome? Well, the best thing we can do as citizens is to stay out of caves that we don't need to go into because okay. we figure that it's being... Well, the bats are probably taking it from cave to cave, Mm -hmm. but uh, people going into caves now, if we do any research in caves, uh, there's a a procedure we have to go to detoxify ourselves and make sure that we're not uh, spreading the disease from cave to cave when we're doing research and so forth. Uh, We've got an early caller on the line who I think has a bat question, and it's Jim in Jackson. Good morning, Jim. You're on the air. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, I'm considering getting a bat house and hanging it in a tree near the house to help control mosquito population. But I'm concerned that the bats might try to get into the attic of the house itself. Should that be a concern? Well, well, it can be. Uh, before you do that, what I would do is inspect your house and make sure that you don't have a bunch of crevices and cracks where they can come into your house. Uh, one of the biggest concerns is that uh, people will get a few bats in their attic and they'll think oh that's kind of cute that's not a problem next year there's more and before they know it they've got a big problem uh for the bat house first don't put it in a tree that's the worst place to put a bat house the best place to put a bat house is to to put it in a place where it gets at least six hours of sunlight every day because what you're doing is creating a maternity roost and so you want to put it Say along the forest edge, put it out about uh, 15 to 20 feet, uh, face it to the east or the the south, and make sure it's getting plenty of sunlight. And then be patient because sometimes it takes while, a while for the bats to occupy the roost. But bat houses are good. There are only a couple of species here in Mississippi that use them uh, habitually, but uh, it's it's a good investment, I think. All right, Jim, thanks for your call. Uh, also, uh, we've talked about this before, that if you're trying to find out if there are any uh, you know, tiny little openings in your attic, the best thing to do would be at night would be maybe to put a bright light in the attic and then kind of walk around the house and any kind of rays of light or bits of light you see, you'll know uh, that that's, you've got to plug those up. Because, Chester, I can imagine 
uh, bats are quite resourceful, and and maybe a, a, an opening that you might think would be too small, they'll they'll still figure out a way to get in there. Oh yeah, they can they can squeeze into the tiniest of crevices. It's surprising, but uh, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. All right, um, and so, um, so but kind of back to the white nose syndrome for just a moment. Do you think it might possibly have been? accidentally introduced by humans uh, in, in caves and, and, and picked up by the bats? And as you said, I guess the way it's spreading is from bat to bat, as it were. Yeah, well, th- there's some speculation on how it got here in the first place. So there's one school of thought said, well, uh, it's a disease that's similar or perhaps the same as one that occurs in Europe and was brought over here maybe by bat biologists or spelunkers, you know, cave people. Uh, so... But nevertheless, it's it's um, it can be spread. It can be spread from bat to bat, and it can be spread on the clothing and so forth of people. Uh, it's just, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can you can spread it. We might want to mention that we do have it now here in Mississippi too. Yeah, yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, are are bats primarily nocturnal? Oh yes, oh yes. Now there are. Some species that will come out um, before nightfall uh, and start feeding, but bats are primarily nocturnal. They they feed on bugs uh, throughout the night. And uh, all all bats in Mississippi, incidentally, are insect eaters. Okay, that's good good to hear. Uh, and so bats, I guess, during the day, they're pretty much sacked out getting their rest. Oh, yeah, they're, they've been feeding all night... Uh, any bat that's feeding during a, a normal night activity will eat at least half of its weight in bugs a night. Oh, wow. So that can be anywhere from 2,500 to 400, 450 insects. Hmm. And, and that, that's good. Yes. <laughs> and, especially throwing a few mosquitoes in there and flies. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so in, during the daytime, they uh, go to their their roost, and that roost can be uh, usually an old tree, uh, uh, a tree with cavities, maybe a man-made roost. And they've been feeding all night, and so they're just hanging up uh, all day and resting because they're going back out at night again and feed. Ah, the simple life of a bat, out all night partying, having a good time, and then you get to come home and sleep all day. I know, I was telling Java, these bat biologists are a little bit like that, too. They party out there all night long studying bats. I say, no wonder that teenagers like bats. (laughs) Hey, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got some open phone lines. So if you're interested about bats and have a question, uh, Chester Martin's here to help us out today. Also, Dr. Major, ready to take your pet questions, and we always like to hear your wildlife observations as well. The phone number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. More creature comforts after this. You're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here uh, with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And our guest today, Chester Martin, who is with the Mississippi Bat Working Group and is our bat expert for today. So if you have a question about bats, you can call us up. Uh, Dr. Major's here ready to take your pet questions. Libby had to slip out early today. Uh, She'll be back on the show next week. So the phone number, if you'd like to join in this morning, it's 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is one 877 Six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Back to the phones we go. We start again in Jackson. David's on the line. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning. Yes, uh, you're just talking about the, uh, the the party life all night. Uh, I'd like to know more about young bats, raising bats, raising raising the babies, and so on. How does that all take place? Okay, well, that's that's very interesting. Uh, Bats uh, actually, uh, uh, they have sexual contact either before they go into hibernation or perhaps during a period of hibernation, when they wake during hibernation or during periods of torpor. And uh, they undergo what's called delayed fertilization. So the female does not actually become pregnant until the spring, and the gestation period is then... Oh, about four to six weeks, and uh, and then once the, the the young are born, of course they they stay with a female, and when the female's out feeding, they'll stay in the roost. But young bats are usually able to fly within four to six weeks, so they grow up very quickly. And uh, to speak again about uh, uh, reproduction, most. Bats only have one offspring per year, mm. but there are several. Uh, the southeastern bat, which is a bat here in Mississippi, has two, and the red bats, which are uh, a species that doesn't don't occur in a in a cavity roost, uh, they'll have as many as four. And sometimes when the mother's flying, she'll be carrying all four of those bats with her. Mm. So that's that's amazing. But uh, as a rule, bats have only one offspring a year. And does that answer your question? Or? Yeah, 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 that's interesting. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call, David. Uh, so you, we mentioned at the top of the show that bats are, are social. So how long would the young bats stay around, or is it once they learn to fly, or are they out on their own? Well, once they learn to fly, they, they will come back to the roost. They, they, they develop a real strong affinity to the roost, at least during the first year. And so they'll continue to come back to the maternity colony until... Oh, the late usually the late fall, and then they'll start splitting up. And uh, but but each year bats will tend to come back to the area where they were born. So there's, if you put up a bat house, uh, those bats that come back are usually part of the same, you know, group of bats. But also, again, uh, going back to that, would be why it's important if if there were bats in your attic or whatever. Why it is important to go ahead and, and seal that up because you're, it sounds like you're saying they would want to come back there. Every year. Oh, absolutely. Now, you, you, once they're in your attic and have been there for a number of years, uh, you have to, uh, you know, you have to get rid of them uh, by uh, caulking up the uh, the the hose in the attic by uh, 
getting rid of bats is, is a question I often get asked, and you don't want to use pesticides. The last thing you want to do is to is to isolate a bunch of baby bats up in your attic and then have all of them die. So it's usually best to wait until a little later in the fall and then have somebody come in and do an exclusion exercise. And that can be a little expensive, but it is worthwhile. All right. Uh, we're continuing on with some phone calls. We're going to Mobile next. Mikey is on the line. Good morning, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Thank you for um, uh, taking my questions. I appreciate it. Um, uh, uh, I have a corner of my little territory that I might want to use to encourage bats. Um, so my questions are, if there are existing trees, some of which are, um, you know, they're, they're going, getting to the point where they're going to have to be removed, but it's a woodland area. Um, how far from home do you need to put bat houses and at what heights? I know these are naive questions, but. Hey, it's the best I can do. <laughs> okay, well, I'll start out with uh, your comment about the trees. If if those trees are are not a danger of falling, you know, um, I would leave them as they are. The older trees are sometimes the better ones because they they provide bigger cavities, uh, more roosting place for bats. So if they're not uh, a potential hazard, I, I'd leave them alone. Um, there's no exact distance. I've seen uh, people who have put bat houses up uh, on their sheds, on their barns, and, it, and that's worked very well. Uh, I'm a little concerned about putting them up in a residential neighborhood where you've got a lot of houses back to back. That's probably not a good idea, and it would probably be uh, not all that acceptable to bats anyway. So, I, you know, if you have a farmstead or place a little out in the woods, a place where there's a, you know, a diverse uh, forest, uh, you know, habitat, that's the best place to put them. And also, it helps to put them close to a water supply. Mm. Because when bats come out of the roost at, at, at night, they've been sitting up there dehydrating all day, so they're going to go to a water source and drink before they start feeding. All right, Mikey, good to hear from you. We'll press on. Next, we've got uh, Jimmy from Osaka on the line. Good morning, Jimmy. Go ahead. Yes, sir. What can I do for a puppy that's just digging up everything and flower beds and all? And just, was there anything to put on the bed that, that would make them quit digging in? Very difficult to do. Uh, what kind of dog is this? It's a cattle with a cur. Okay. They're going to dig. Uh, some people have had success by where they make a hole, filling it up with water. Uh, Might help some. Uh, As far as uh, discouraging it, it's very difficult to stop one from digging. And especially as it gets hotter, they're going to dig simply because they can make a place for them to cool off. Uh, But filling it up with water may discourage it some. However, other dogs might go play with it, just like a child. (laughs) So... uh, like pepper or something like that. Well, you could try that as long as it, you know, you weren't going to do anything that's going to hurt. And I don't think that would well, hurt. No, no, no. I don't, do I don't think that would hurt hurt the dog. So, uh, some of our listeners may have some suggestions if they have. Uh, certainly, would like for them to share it. But uh, each dog is different, and be honest with you, I'm not sure that I have a good solution for that. It, it's one of those things that they will, you know, you almost have to remove the source of where they're digging or what they're digging up either by yeah. a fence or uh, some way to do that. 
Uh, I don't nickname her Destructo. She don't. <laughs> she don't miss a chance. She's got a lot of energy, I'm sure, <laughs> and uh, maybe she can share some with us. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> appreciate your call. I wish you had better suggestions. Take care. All right, thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, can you, Dr. Major, can you kind of convince a dog, hey, I want you to dig over here, it's okay, <laughs> but don't dig over here in my flower bed, or that's oh, not going to uh, work? Oh, you know, a lot of these dogs, people out working in the garden and working in their uh, flower beds and stuff, and the dog's right there with them. They, I mean, you're digging in the dirt. Why shouldn't they dig <laughs> in the dirt? And a lot of times they uh, do it just naturally and uh, very difficult to do as far as training a dog to dig in one place. I'm not sure how I would handle that. And I think I've mentioned this before, but my cat has an odd thing where if I'm in the kitchen cooking dinner or something, he he likes playing with his food bowl. So <laughs> right. he wants to be in on the food preparation as <laughs> right. well. So. Right. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Chester Martin from the Mississippi Bat Working Group. Uh, so if you have a question about bats, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Staying on the phone lines, our next uh, person on the line is Hank calling in from Philadelphia. Good morning, Hank. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. Uh, I was actually talking about bats in my zoology class yesterday. Oh, great. And uh, we were watching some videos about uh, mega colonies in Texas, and I was just wondering if there are any. Uh, large colonies in Mississippi. Uh, when I say mega colonies, I'm talking about, you know, upwards of a million, you know, population maternity colonies. And so I was just wondering if there's any colonies of that size or, you know, not necessarily that large, but in Mississippi. No, we don't, we don't have anything like they have in Texas as far as the, the number of bats in, the, in a cave. I was out in uh, Texas uh, last year at Bracken Cave. You may have been talking about Bracken Cave just north right, of San Antonio. I did some research back there in the 70s, and uh, now that cave has from 15 to 20 million bats. These are all free-tail bats that come to that cave in the spring, raise their young, and once they're raised in, uh, in the wintertime, they head back to Mexico. And uh, we have free-tail bats here in Mississippi, but they don't migrate, and they, they don't occur in caves. They're mostly uh, found in old homes. There. Well, I tell people the, in here in Mississippi, the, the favorite habitat for free-tailed bats are, are old churches, elementary schools, and women's dormitories. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily in that art. <laughs> but, uh, uh, okay. That's great. Uh, but, I do have one other question. Hi. Uh, the uh, the white nose fungus that has been affecting uh, some populations of bats. Are there any occurrences of that in Mississippi? Yes, we we have detected it recently. Uh, we started doing surveys a couple of years ago, and we detected. We're, we're looking in culverts and bridges and caves. Yes, we do have caves in Mississippi, and we do have a fair number of bats. I'll get back to your first question. Uh, there are a number of southeastern bats um, in in the thousands. Uh, that occur in these caves, but these caves are are all on private lands, and and uh, we're especially concerned about them because they're they're vulnerable to, you know, to uh, being harmed. Uh, but uh, with the white nose syndrome, it is here. It's been detected. Uh, we're watching out for. It. We do not have the cold temperature caves that they do in Kentucky and 
in Tennessee and Arkansas and so forth. So we're hopeful that that uh, doesn't allow the spread like it has in some states, but it is here. And so we have to be very careful uh, going in and out of caves and going in and out of culverts that we don't spread the disease. All right, Hank, uh, good for your call. Thanks for calling in. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. So, Chester, if uh, we talked about bats being nocturnal, so what would be your best chance to to see a bat? Well, uh, if you go out just about nightfall, just before it turns dark, you will probably, you know, if you live in in a wooded area, it's very likely you'll see some bats flitting around. And they don't fly like birds. They're not flying in a straight line. They're flying very erratically. That would be the best way to see bats. Or if you have a, uh, uh, if you have a known roost site, you can go to that roost site and watch them emerge. They'll start emerging just about at, at dusk. Mm-hmm. So bats are, you know, to some extent crepuscular as well as uh, nocturnal, but primarily nocturnal. And what uh, pretty much evenly distributed uh, did geographically throughout the state, or are there parts of Mississippi where you're more likely to find bats? Uh, we've done a good bit of survey work in Mississippi. Uh, I can't answer that question definitively, but down in the southern part of the state, we tend to get more species. Um, in areas that we've surveyed um, down below Hattiesburg, we can usually get six to eight species, but if we're up in the north, northern part of the state, it's usually a four to five species. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. Our next <clears throat> stop, Starkville. William's on the line. Go ahead, William. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Uh, I have uh, uh, recently uh, discovered or noticed that Dr. Steve Pruitt and colleagues at Mississippi State University uh, discovered a... Um, a universal fungicide that uh, is somewhat remarkable. It's a few years ago, and I wondered if there's any collaboration between people concerned with the white nose disease, uh, fungal origins, and their and their efforts or their work with uh, with this uh, somewhat remarkable uh, fungicide. And I'll leave you to reply on air. Well, there's there is more research going on with white nose syndrome in bats than, than anything else. And there's a lot of collaboration with uh, private organizations, government agencies, universities. The thing with a fungicide, uh, I'm sure they will look at first is, okay, if it's going to knock out white nose syndrome, is it going to knock out all the natural uh, uh, fungi out? So you've got to be careful that, you know, uh, uh, whatever you use doesn't eradicate all the naturally occurring flora and fauna in a cave, as well as the white nose syndrome, because that could that could be just as devastating. But I'm sure if he's got that and has proposed it to uh, bat people, then that'll that will be investigated. We need to take another quick break on creature comforts. We're visiting today with Chester <coughs> Martin from the Mississippi Bat Working Group, and we're talking about bats. Dr. Major is here also, ready to take some uh, pet questions if you have one. The number to call to join our conversation is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Back with more creature comforts after this.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And visiting us from the Mississippi Bat Working Group, we're talking today with Chester Martin all about bats. We've got some calls on the line, but first, you know, Chester, we've heard of the horse whisperer, and I think there's the dog whisperer. So are you the bat whisperer? Well, Kevin, um, you know, I would have to uh, whisper at, uh, you know, above 20 kilohertz. <laughs> and so uh, I, I would be ultrasonic. Most bats here at 30 to 60 kilohertz here in Mississippi, so you would never know. <laughs> <laughs> so we can whisper all we want to the That's bats, right. but the I message may, is not getting through. I may be whispering now, and you're not aware of it. <laughs> uh, let's head back to the phone lines. We're going to start uh, again in Picune. Frida has called in today. Good morning. Go ahead. Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. I was curious about the um, bat house. I live in Picayune, and um, pretty much a wooded area, and I was wondering if bats live out there, if I could maybe um, make them a home. If you could give me some information about that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I was asked about bat houses earlier, but I didn't, I didn't answer all the questions. If you're, well, I probably missed it because I just tuned in. Oh, that's so. all right. I, I needed to add to that anyway. But uh, if uh, if you're interested in in putting up a bat house, uh, there are a number of designs available now, and I would lead you to um, batcon.org uh, as a website and uh, organization for batconservation.org. You can get some designs, specs, and so forth. Uh, my guidelines there are if you're going to put up a bad house, uh, it's best to do it if you're adjacent to a wooded area. Don't put it back up in the woods or under on a tree. Mount it on a post or a pole about 15 to 20 feet out from the tree line. Face it to the uh, east or the south because you want to give, you know, what you're doing is creating a nursery colony. So you want it to get plenty of sunlight. So you want it to put want it to get at least six hours of direct sunlight every day, and put it about uh, you know twelve to fifteen feet high. Oh, high. Yeah. Okay. I think I have the right habitat for that, and I really appreciate your time and information, sir. Yeah, but I it's this program very much. Okay. Good. Good. Would Would you paint the house? Uh, in Mississippi, uh, it's usually kind of a, a, a brownish color is the best color to paint. Uh, I don't think that makes as much difference as where it's located. Um, and, uh, but you do need to make sure it's caulked properly and you don't want to get any water in the house. The nice thing about bad houses is you don't have to clean them every year, but it is a good idea to inspect them. You don't have to pull them down like a bluebird box and clean all the all the uh, nest material out because there will be no nest material. Um, but sometimes uh, sometimes wasps will come in and take over your bat box before the bats do. And so you have to play that game. But uh, again, use, use some patience. Um, Chester, you had some events you wanted to talk about. I wanted to, let's uh, get those before we the, the time runs out on us. Yeah, here with the Mississippi Bat Working Group uh, participates in a, in a number of events. Uh, 
We have an annual meeting. It's usually in February, so you won't be able to make that. And in the summertime, we have a MISNET event where a bunch of us uh, strangely get together and net, net bats. We <laughs> do this uh, two nights in a row. But <clears throat> things that you would be interested in is on April the 1st at Nature Fest. That's Nature Fest at the Museum of Natural Science. Mm-hmm. We have a booth about bats, and we'll have people there who can talk to you about bats and we might even have a few bats that are in a, in a cage that have been injured that we can show people. And uh, there's the Natchez Trace Festival on April the 22nd at the Tupelo Visitor Center. We'll have a bat booth, and there will also be a bear booth there. So come out if you're in the Tupelo area or can travel up the Trace uh, to that. Uh, please visit us. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. We've got next uh, Jerry in Yazoo County. Good morning, Jerry. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I was calling uh, about the, the person you called earlier uh, about the uh, Catahoula digging in the garden and so on. Right. Uh, there's a, a way you can take care of that. Uh, if you take any sort of galvanized fence wire uh, and and roll it out flat on the ground where the, the dog is digging, uh, that's all you have to do. Um, if, if you do it, kind of anchor it down a little bit and the grass will grow through it. And, uh, anytime the dog tries to dig there, he's going to uh, run into that wire and he stops. Uh, and it doesn't hurt the dog at all. Uh, they, they quickly get the idea. <clears throat> but uh, it works. I, I raised Catahoulas, actually. <laughs> all right. Okay. And I learned this uh, the hard way. I learned that uh, if a ground squirrel ever makes a den, or a, a concrete slab, a determined Catahoula can do a lot of damage. Right. So, uh, <laughs> well, that's a great suggestion. Thank you for your for your call. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. That that sounds like a good idea, and it reminds me of uh, a similar thing with a cat. Uh, sometimes they say if you don't want your cat jumping up on somewhere, use some tinfoil or something that does, they don't like on their paws. And this, I guess, is the same kind of theory. They're digging, and they when they hit that uh, that wire level. Uh, it gets a little unpleasant, and again, they'll they'll go find some other part of the yard to dig in that doesn't have that impediment to it. So, thanks, good, uh, great suggestion. Let's move on next uh, to Charles, who's called in from Savannah, Tennessee. Good morning, Charles. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, love your show. Thank you. It makes me makes me late for work sometimes. <laughs> uh, we'll send you a, a written excuse for that, uh, Charles. <laughs> okay. Uh, when I was in summer camp, we had a a bat we found in a lampshade and it was when we first got there so we started to take him out and let him go and there was like four guys there and about five girls when let him go this thing flew like 100 yards made a big circle came right back and landed on my shirt and I looked down everybody screamed it's a vampire (laughs) he was opening his mouth and showing his teeth later I figured out it's probably just his radar system going out, but I never will forget that. It was just, I imagine that's what it was, but it was kind of weird having him come all the way back and landing on my shirt. <laughs> and that's my story. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> that bat, I'm sure, was much more, much scarier than you were, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, he didn't know what to do with himself. And, uh, uh, well, he was crawling up to my toward my face, so I just 
knocked him off, and he just flew off after that. Didn't bother coming back. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, was that in the in the, the wintertime or the summer? It was summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what what will happen with individual bats? Now, like I say, there's the maternity roost. The males are not allowed in the maternity roost. Okay, when the when the females are having their young, and there's usually a huge cluster of them there, uh, the males are told to go off and play golf, play cards, or something <laughs> like that. But, but uh, we don't need you around the roost. And they will go and find what's called a, a little, little bachelor colonies or independent uh, roosts. And so bats, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a hunting camp or something like that, you'll find them behind shutters or in a variety of places. And usually you can just, you know, release them and they'll go on their way. When you do that, though, wear gloves. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring that to everybody's attention. Do not be handling bats with your bare hands. Now, again, uh, rabies can occur in bat populations. It's, it's fairly rare, but it's nothing to mess with. So handle, handle them with gloves, and with, if you've got kids, tell them don't handle them at all. Let an adult take care of it. If somebody is bitten and it draws blood, then you need to go to uh, a doctor and then proceed from there. And then and the, you'll get some inoculations. It's not like it used to be. It's a, a series of three shots over a period of about uh, a, a month or several weeks. Uh, just, you know, for precautions. Uh, I handle bats a lot. I have, a, I have my titer checked every year. And so I need, I, I, but if I got bit also and it drew blood, I'd do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So just be very careful. And, and, and that's where people get, mo- get in trouble most of the time, where they're, they're handling bats or maybe kids are handling bats and then they'll, they'll get bitten. Got another phone call to go to. We're off to Grenada this time as we say good morning to David. Hi, David. You're on the air. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I just have a short comment. Uh, I remember uh, hearing or reading or something not long ago that uh, Ebola, it was either Ebola or SARS in Africa is the uh, originator of all that, one of those diseases. They trace back to a... uh, Somebody that ate a bat. So uh, I was, I was, I was thinking uh, somebody would mention that on your program so far. But things ahead, and I thought I would. Uh, I don't know what that's worth, but uh, you don't. Want, I guess you don't. I guess the moral of the story is you don't want to eat bats. But whatever. Well, the, uh, yeah, I, I've heard several different opinions about that. In. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact answer is. I think bats have been, maybe been misrepresented there. Uh, it's not something that we have to worry about here in the States. Uh, but overseas, uh, in Malaysia and the Philippines and Australia, they eat bats. Hmm. Uh, they, they have these big fruit bats that uh, we haven't talked about the size of bats yet. But bats here in the, in Mississippi have a wingspan, oh, usually of 10 or 11 inches. Mm. So they're they're actually fairly small. The smallest bat in the world is what's called the bumblebee bat in Thailand, which uh, weighs about the same as a dime. Mm. The largest bats are the big mega bats of the. Now, when I t- say mega bats, these are the fruit eaters of the old world. We do not have any what's properly called mega bats in the United States. 
But these bats that are, have wingspans of uh, some of them four to six feet. Wow. And so, but they're all fruit eaters. Uh, so, you, but, but, but they're often eaten. They're considered a delicacy. And for that reason, some of those species are very much endangered. Let's get one more call in before our next break, and it's Phil in Gulfport. Good morning, Phil. Go ahead. Yes, are you familiar with the flight of the bats in... Sorry, Phil, you cut out there at the very end. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the flight of the bats at Sunset in Austin, Texas. Yeah, at the the Congress Street Bridge. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Phenomenal thing. Is there anything similar, near similar to that in Mississippi or a local area? No, there's really not. There's there's really not. I mean, uh, uh, we don't have any of those large emergencies and spectacular emergencies. Uh, Those are Brazilian free-tail bats, again, the same kind of bats that occur in Bracken Cave. And actually, that that, if if you've never seen that, that's worth going, and it's it's really more fun to watch some of the people than the bats. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But it is an amazing... uh, viewing for anybody that goes down there. Oh, absolutely. Must do when you're in Austin. All right, Phil, thanks for, for your call. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll continue uh, discussing bats with our guest, uh, Chester Martin from the Mississippi Bat Working Group. Back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this last break. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We've been visiting throughout the hour with our guest, Chester Martin, from the Mississippi Bat Working Group. A lot of of interesting questions about bats this morning. We've gotten a lot of information in. Um, Chester, why don't we uh, end the show by kind of dispelling some, I think, uh, popular uh, myths about bats. What would you say is the biggest myth or misunderstanding uh, about bats? Well, uh, one that always comes to the forefront is: Do all bats have rabies? You know, and mm-hmm. and, and they don't. We, uh, you have to be aware of it. You have to protect yourself. Uh, don't be handling bats unless you uh, have gloves on. I also, uh, you know, get questions about vampires. Now, I've had some experience with vampire bats, and down in Mexico and South America, there are three species of vampires, and uh, uh, only one is a particular concern, and it does not occur in the U.S., um, mostly of a concern to to uh, cattle producers and so forth down in, in Mexico. Um, 
Also, you know, bats getting entangled in hair. Uh, bats normally are, are smarter than that, but, uh, you know, uh, an excited bat might hit you upside the head as it's trying to get away from you flying out of a roost. But they, uh, a bat can see just a tiny filament or, or, or yeah, their, can, their radar can detect it. And those are probably the three. And also people will ask if, if, you know, if there's any danger to having bats around. Actually, bats are very beneficial. Chester, wouldn't you say that uh, one of the things that we see would be if a bat's on the ground, uh, you need to wear gloves, uh, and kids especially, and cats. Cats are very curious, and they would tend to... Uh, I hate to use the word bat the bat around, but they they would tend <laughs> yeah. to play with it and then possibly get bitten. So there's something wrong with the bat when it's on the ground, so be very careful with those. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the bat being on the ground does not necessarily mean it has rabies. Right. Uh, bats can, young bats, when they're just learning to fly, can get knocked around a good bit. So And and they can get injured. I, I had a call some time ago about a bat was on the uh, it impaled itself on the antenna of a car, <laughs> and so bats can, uh, you know, they can get pretty excited chasing bugs and have accidents. Right. Young, right. Go ahead. So there are vampire bats, but they're not after our necks, and they don't turn into Dracula. No, that's okay. true. <laughs> and they aren't here. And they aren't here. And in they're, the actually, States. <laughs> they're actually fairly small. You know. Uh, all right. So the other one too is uh, blind as a bat. We, we 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 a lot of times think bats are blind. Is that the case? No, bats bats can see quite well. Some some very very well. Uh, bats, like I said, they will sometimes fly at dusk, and they they'll be using their you know, the eyes at that time. Uh, at, at night, although they 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 uh, feed acoustically, um, they still are quite can see quite well. All right, uh, we've got another caller on the line. So it's Mitch who's called in from the Audubon Center today. Good morning, Mitch. Morning. How are you all? Good. What do you have for us? Yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to my friend Chester. Uh, I always have to compliment Chester on, on his nature artwork, which he always has at our Strawberry Plains Hummingbird Festival. And um, if you guys are looking to see some of these megabats, Rob Mize from uh, Organization for Bat Conservation will be there this year as he is every year september 8th 9th and 10th up in holly springs and we'll have several of these different bats on display for you to see but i wanted to mention uh i I used to live in austin texas and work closely with uh, bat conservation international and an interesting story with how the whole congress street bridge uh, phenomenon got going uh back in the 90s when they were redoing that bridge unbeknownst to them uh the design uh was perfect habitat for those free-tailed bats, and they had uh, been forced from a natural habitat closer to San Antonio due to development, uh, destroying their caves there. And when those bats started to take up roost, the city freaked out and actually was going to redo the entire bridge because the town was concerned with all of these uh, misnomers and fears of rabies and vampire bats and all of this stuff. And if it wasn't for Bat Conservation International, picking up their roots from uh, the Pacific Northwest and relocating in Austin and fighting to keep them from restructuring that bridge, uh, the bats would never be there. And so what went from a uh, disaster from the PR standpoint of the city of Austin, now they consider themselves Bat City USA, and it's uh, bringing in millions of tourism dollars every year. So one of those cool things, similar to chimney swift towers that we could do 
in some of our old towns and town squares like Holly Springs and Oxford. Um, these these uh, roostings of, of various animals native to our areas can actually turn into what we call ecotourism. So I thought that'd be a cool thing for people to know about. All right. Uh, thanks, hey, Mitch. Mitch, thanks for the call. And <clears throat> if you would, as, uh, as your festival grows closer this fall, uh, give us a call back and remind us so we'll know uh, what's going on up there. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thanks for the time. All yeah, right. That Strawberry Plains Festival is, is tremendous, and Rob Mize brings those the bats down, and uh, he has uh, pr- several presentations, and it's just uh, very worthwhile to see. All right, so we were talking about uh, bats' eyesight. They're not blind. You say they, they see quite well, but again, I guess they're out there at night uh, doing a lot of their hunting. So is it is it an echolocation type of thing that they have that helps them out? Yes, yes. They they use echolocation to to uh, recognize the prey and to zoom in on the prey and also to avoid structures and so forth. And is that at a level that is not that we cannot hear, or could we hear high squeaks or something coming out of a bat? Well, I mean, uh, we c- we couldn't hear the echolocation. That's all ultrasonic. Uh-huh. There are devices that we can use as scientists to uh, pick up those and turn them into a sonogram and run them through a, a series of filters and, and attempt to decide which species they are and how many there are. And again, it's the idea of that they send the signal out, and based on how it bounces back to them, they're able to determine structures and, and that sort of thing. That's correct. And they, you know, they'll go in and uh, they may be uh, producing two hundred pulses per second when they go in to to zoom in on a prey. Uh, we were talking on the break, and, and Dr. Major said there have been a couple of bats that have come through the clinic, but mostly as rehab injured bats. Um, I would imagine that bats are not available as pets i mean I, I don't know i mean this seems to me that a lot of wildlife is not not pet pet available and i would hope maybe bats are the same you know that's it wouldn't be a good idea at all to maintain a bat just as a pet uh there are bat rehabilitators and if you have an injured bat in uh, a place that you can turn it over to for rehabilitation i would i would go that route because uh i saw a case last year where a person was re- trying to rehabilitate a bat feeding them certain kinds of mealworms and so forth, and because of what he was feeding them, uh, the bat was uh, growing fine and was doing well, but it had deformed its wings. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be careful with that sort of thing. Um, and also, uh, you mentioned not a good idea if you're in a neighborhood because of the proximity of all the houses, but if you're, say, out in a farm or something and have a bat box, I would imagine that that's natural mosquito control. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they'll control... Mosquitoes, uh, flies, uh, there are certain bats. The uh, big brown bat likes beetles. Some of the uh, bats like uh, like uh, moths. Uh, and then there's some that are just opportunistic. Whatever out there, they're going to feed on. So, yeah, that's a good idea. All right. and, and I'm not saying don't put up a, a bat house in a neighborhood, but don't put it up in a place where it would be a, a potential, you know, have a pr- problem with your with your neighbor you right know? <laughs> exactly uh and also i think you said msbats.org was the uh, website for the mississippi bat working group is that right right MS- okay and also you gave us if you could real quick you gave us two other uh, kind of bat resources on the web uh what was it uh batcon.org batcon.org uh-huh 
and also organizationforbatconservation.org. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. And from contributions from listeners like you. Our show was produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Sharita Brent. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest Chester Martin, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's MPB Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Conference only on MPB Think Radio.